Gendra Winchester here with Autumn Previtt, and this is the Reading Women podcast, where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And today we are talking to Chloe Benjamin, who has recently written The Immortalist. So we're very excited to talk to her about her book today. Welcome, Chloe. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here, and I love your mission. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We were so excited to get our hands on a copy of this book. And like I was just telling you a minute ago, I think I read it in like one sitting. So thank yeah, goodness for Christmas break. <laughs> oh, I, I always think that's such a compliment. So thank you. Yeah, it's very incredibly captivating. But we won't want to spoil it for our um, our listeners. One of the things that made me know that I had to listen to this book was that the this is about four siblings, and they go they go to a Romani woman, a fortune teller, and she tells them their death dates. So knowing that you're going to die is really an interesting concept, but it's really overwhelming, kind of frightening when you think about it. So what made you to decide to use this as the premise for your novel? And why did you decide to focus that premise on a group of siblings? Hmm. Well, I always uh, say that I wish I had like an exciting fortune and teller experience that I could talk about as contributing to the conception of this book. But I really think it just came out of my own anxieties. I'm somebody who's always struggled with uncertainty and uncertainty is so inherent to human life. I think it's wild that we have to put one foot in front of the other and make decisions about our futures with Without knowing if we'll be there to experience them. And obviously that's, it's a really dark thought. So it's not something that, you know, most of us have in the forefront of our minds all the time, but I do think it's something that we all think about. And death is such a mystery, no matter, you know, what kind of advances there have been in science and technology, there's still no way to know what that is like or what happens after it. So those questions were all driving the book, and I always knew it was going to be four siblings. I, I love family stories. I love stories about how different people interpret the same event, and I love following uh, a tight-knit group over many years. We also love family novels, so as soon as <laughs> I got into this one, I was like, yes, this is <laughs> great. Um, awesome. But I think it's so cool, too, like you get all the different perspectives, too, from the different siblings. When you were researching this book, um, did you find like actual Romani people in the U.S. who were fortune tellers? Or I guess, like, what did you find in your research? Like, were they more popular, like, in the 60s when this book is first set? Or, like... I don't know, like, I guess, what did you uncover in your research? Yeah, well, I I think it is still very much a way that the Romani people um, make their living. Uh, I I did a lot of research about them historically as an ethnic group that has been really maligned and has experienced a lot of prejudice. Uh, You know, they, they kind of originated in India and parts of Eastern Europe and have spent a lot of their history migrating and being nomadic. They were persecuted in the Holocaust along with um, Jews and other groups. And uh, fortune telling is very much a part of their culture and their traditions. Um, So I didn't go to see a fortune teller myself because I didn't want to feel like I was there under false pretenses, kind of pretending I wanted to get my fortune read, but really there for research. Uh, But I did do a lot of reading of my own about um, their history and their culture. I guess I've never really thought about the Romani people living in the United States. And so when I read read this book, I was like, oh, I guess they would, because Romani people live in just about everywhere. I mean, they've traveled all across the world. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's incredibly fascinating. 
So did you always know that like a Romani person was going to be the one to give these kids their fortunes, essentially? I think I knew that as soon as I started researching the history of fortune telling. I, I think initially it was, I knew that I wanted wanted there to be a fortune teller. But then when I found that the ROM have really originated and still continue to be the, the group that does this, um, it just felt like, you know, that would be this this woman's background. Um, and there are cultural depictions of Romani people in the U.S., but they're very often kind of sensationalized and negative. Like, you know, my, like, what's the, the show on TLC about like my gypsy. Yes. It's like my big gypsy wedding or my something wedding. like that. Like, yeah. yeah. And then the, the idea of gypsies in general is kind of a, uh, it's, it, it's a term that has a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. One of the things I learned when researching the book is that the term gypped, I was gypped is act, actually comes from the, you know, G Y P P E D. It's, it's the idea of gypsies taking your money. And wow. I tried to be, yeah, I, so you see the way that like certain prejudices have worked their way into language and, and, you know, the, the people who tell fortunes, like I, I'm sh- I've seen news cases about, uh, fraud, but there's fraud in all kinds of professions and by people of all kinds of backgrounds. For the most part, this is a service that's being offered. People go to it willingly. And, uh, I think these are people that have faced a lot of hardship. So as we kind of mentioned before, so the mortalist covers several decades and like the whole lives of this group of four siblings. Um, is there something also something that we can learn about like America itself, like as it transitions over these decades? Because like we see, we start out like early on, I believe it's like in the 60s. I don't remember specifically when and like work our way kind of to the present. Um yeah, so, like, to what extent, too, is, like, this book, like, a, a story about America itself and, like, as the family changes, the country changes, too? I think you're exactly right. And I I always knew that this book would cover a lot of time, and that means that it covers a lot of cultural and historical content. Um, each of the siblings is situated in a different moment, whether that is the burgeoning gay community and then the AIDS crisis in San Francisco or the world of professional magicians in Vegas or the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Each of those required a, a lot of research into the time period and, and the kind of social, cultural, political moment of the times. And that was one of the things I really loved about the book, too, is I felt like with each section, I was totally immersed in like a different world almost. Mm. But then it was like the same family. So it was really cool to see, too, like how those times overlapped as well. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, and I think we just need to take a moment to say that the structure of the book is just, like, perfect symmetry. And Autumn was, and I, we text back and forth a lot when we're reading the same book. And so she's like, the structure. I'm like, yes. Oh, well, I, you know, I have to say the structure is something that I feel really proud of. And I love books, like I said, that, that show how different people interpret the same event and that go into multiple perspectives. And for me, structure is also, so a way to keep myself from like drowning under the fear that I can't write up this book. Like <laughs> it, it gives me a, you know, there's this idea of like boundaries and limitations can actually free you up and knowing like, okay, I have about, you know, 90 pages for each of these siblings and, and they have their chunk and it's going to follow this amount of years. It kind of broke it down into bite-sized chunks for me. 
yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. And I was like, how is she going to do this? Like, I have this amount of information. So anyone who picks up this book is going to love, I love the structure of it. And it kind of like, it's mystery. Who's going to be the next sibling? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the surprise of like turning the page after the prologue and realizing, if you go into the book without knowing anything about it and realizing like, oh, wait, we're in this year and yes. now it's Simon. Yes, and I did some math and I was so sad. I was like, no, like this is oh. before like I even read the next page. I was like, no, not Simon. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I've seen some um, people who have read the book commenting saying like, I always, like I knew what would happen to Simon. And to me, it's not like his section, w- without giving anything away, it's not supposed to be kind of a whodunit or a great mystery. I think what's interesting to me is how, you know, even at, even if as a reader, you kind of see the writing on the wall for him, how does that affect the other siblings? How does that affect their orientations toward the prophecy? Yeah. And I think you do such a great job with the siblings and creating their characters because we do spend, you know, a chunk of time with them. But what, and the things that I really loved about the siblings was how very different uh, their lives are and that they take such different career paths. So you have one who's a dancer and one uh, who's like a magician and one who's like an army doc kind of guy. Um, And so how did you decide what sibling got what career and did it come over the things that you wanted to say or was it just something that came out of their characters? I think a little bit of both. The the youngest two siblings who happened to be the first two sections in the book were always the clearest to me. And I wonder if I did that. Like, I wonder if I wrote the book in the order that I did because they were the clearest to me. Uh, I always knew that Simon would be a dancer. And that was really fun for me to write about because I was a really serious dance student of ballet from childhood until college. So I could bring in that world. Didn't have to do as much research for that one. And then Clara, I always pictured as a kind of nomad and as a magician. And that was something that I didn't know a lot about uh, beforehand, but it was always how I saw her. Daniel and Varya were trickier. Daniel, I, I had always thought of as the more, as the most kind of the sibling who's most focused on like honor and propriety and masculinity and uh, tradition. But initially I thought maybe he would be an architect of Jewish museums. I, I knew I wanted him to be more connected to Judaism than the others. But ultimately, especially given the time period and the centrality of those wars at that time in American history, it felt right to go in the military direction. And Varya, I always knew would be a scientist, but just what she would study and uh, how that would influence the narrative was was a bit of a struggle. I think it's fitting, though, that her being the oldest somehow, that she ends it all. Daniel's career, I felt like, was a really interesting contrast to Varya's career as well, and like dealing with these matters of life and death. And I thought, too, like that they seemed so much older well, I mean, they were older, but like they seem, I don't, I'm the oldest daughter in my family. Mm. And so like I identified with some of those like oldest child tropes, who, you know, mm-hmm. or characteristics that you take on when you're taking care of your younger siblings. I loved how that kind of worked itself out. And it's cool to hear that it kind of just like happened that way too. Yeah, I know. It's funny. It's like how much I, I was talking with somebody else today and she referenced a quote that I think it's by Stephen King, but I'm not positive that like a lot of the, what goes into writing a book is like people working in the basement. Like mm-hmm. you don't even really know all of the, you know, all of the motivations or the processes consciously. That's really cool. Varya in particular, I thought was a really fascinating character. And one of the quotes 
one of the things that she says, like in the book is that stories have the power to change things. And if I remember correctly, that was pretty early on in the story or not near the end, definitely. But so I was thinking about that as I was reading. And so like how much of like this, of like the gold children, them hearing this prediction and hearing what was going to happen to them, like did them believing the story kind of like bring it to pass Mm -hmm. in a way? Yeah, I think that's that's one of the central questions of the book. And it wasn't until I was almost finished with it that I realized how dominant that theme is, this idea of the power of story and the power of fiction. So even if you, you know, we all have stories that we tell about ourselves or that have been told to us by other people. And even though some of those may not be objectively true, what happens when we believe them? Do we mm-hmm. actualize them? That was uh, something that I think was operative throughout. But then when I came to that moment in various section and I was able to articulate it, I realized, oh, that's this is what the book is about. Yeah, I definitely think you could tell that in the end, especially, I don't want to give any spoilers, but with a particular chapter, um, there's a, a character who's kind of realized what's going on uh, and they are kind of obsessed and it becomes like, almost like self-fulfilling prophecy, but other characters just kind of passively move into this type of a future. And so I felt like having both sides of that and you're kind of left it open-ended, like it's almost up to the reader to decide how they, what they believe about these characters. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted that to be the case. Um, I don't even know myself for sure what I think about wise you know, certain things happen in the book. If I think that the woman had these powers of foresight or if certain things were self-fulfilling. And I, I think I couldn't have written a book that was complex and open to interpretation if I had a really firm idea myself. Mm -hmm. So I, I hope it's a kind of, I want it to be a conversation starter for people who read it. And, oh, I think one thing that's just so amazing about reading as a, as an experience is that you bring so much of yourself to mm. what you read. So it, it feels like it's only natural that there would be some mystery around that. Yeah, definitely. I think this next question kind of flows into that. Um, and so so near the end of the book, uh, the last the last surviving sibling starts to ask questions about like what it means to live first, what it means to survive. Um, and so that survival seems to haunt all the siblings, um, especially the ones who died youngest. And they seem to have lived the most, but then the oldest sibling seems to just be surviving. And there's kind of like this spectrum of survival versus living. What do you think is the key to balancing the two? And what do you think it says about the siblings that they're on this kind of spectrum of of life surviving living kind of deal. Yeah. Well, I think I use the book as a way to explore some of those questions myself. I mean, I'm certainly somebody who is a worrier and who, you know, craves certainty and knowledge, but the thing about, you know, pursuing facts is that you miss the experience of the in-between and, and that's, you know, what life is. So, um, I don't know that I have any answers, but I think each of the siblings, as you say, falls in a different place on that spectrum in terms of, uh, you know, the way that they live. And I don't know that living sort of with total abandon is, is the good way to live and living, cautiously is the bad way. I think that, you know, there's, there's benefits and cons to both. And ideally we both strike, we all strike a balance, but of course that's easier said than done. 
I love how you said though that like this book is more of like a conversation starter than giving answers because mm. I felt like I've been thinking a lot about that very question since I finished it. Like, okay, well, you know, who who made the right decision? And I don't really think there is an answer to that. Yeah. But it's something I think that's important to think about. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting because in in seeing how people respond to the book, I think there are a lot of people who who prefer the first half because they they really connect with the way that the siblings in the first half kind of throw caution to the wind and follow their dreams. But I think the second two have a different sense of responsibility. And there's something admirable about, about that, uh, even if they don't live live their lives in the same way. Mm-hmm. Well, we did want to ask you kind of a fun question before we let you go. Um, sure. And we're already like gearing up about 2018 books and so many. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Many. And so are there any books that you're looking forward to reading in 2018? Yes. Um I'm so glad you asked. There's a few. Lucy Tan is uh the author of a debut that's coming out in July from Little Brown. It's called What We Were Promised and I was able to read an advanced copy and it's fantastic. You guys should read it and and think about having her on. She's amazing. Reese Kwan is another author I'm really excited about. She has a book called The Incendiary. Yes. It's coming out. Oh, you guys know about that one. Yeah, I haven't read that one yet, but I'm really excited. And also The Ensemble, I think is coming out this year. Do you guys know that one? Yes. Uh, No. You know that one? I do. I do. Is that this year? I believe I believe it's later this year. Okay. But yeah, that's another book that I've heard really great things about. Yeah, it comes out May 15th of this year. Oh, okay. So. Great. There you go. Some of those are on our list too, but it awesome. promises to be a great year. And then your book is out on January 9th, so in just a few days. So. Tuesday. Yeah. So yeah. So excited. Yeah, so the day this goes up, it'll already be awesome. out. So that's really exciting. So that's the end of this episode of the Reading Women podcast. We would like to say a special thank you to Chloe Benjamin for talking to us about her book, The Immortalists. As we mentioned, it is out um, by Putnam on January 9th. So by the time this launches, it'll be the day before. Um, so you can find more about her on her Instagram and Twitter at Chloe K. Benjamin and ChloeBenjaminBooks.com. We'll have links to all this in our show notes so that way you can easily find out more about her and her writing. And then, as always, you can find me, Autumn Privet, on Twitter and other places at Autumn Privet and Kendra Winchester at KD Winchester. And thank you all so much for listening. Um, Don't forget to leave a review for us in iTunes if you get a chance. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye, guys. Bye.